Here at the BQN Network, we support and express solidarity for all of the writers and actors that have brought us the stories we passionately speak about. We continue to show love to all that are fighting the good fight for the WGA, SAG-AFTRA, and any upcoming strikes. We stand with you. You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Amy, and with me today are Kelvin, and we have with us former co-host of Galaxy Class and our good friend, Joe Keegan. Hello, Kelvin. How's it going? Yeah, really well, really well. What a lovely Sunday to be with you and Joe as we come up to my kind of anniversary of starting podcasting as well. It's nice to be with the two people who got me started. So it's so lovely. It's lovely to see you, Joe. I see her all the time. <laughs> um, it's lovely to see you guys, the people that mean most to me in the world at this moment in time. So, yeah, thanks for having me on today. It's very nice. Calvin, your anniversary? Yes. So I did a couple of guest appearances on Galaxy Class with you guys. And then I did my rather infamous uh, early visit on Trexpert's Quiz on, I think, what was the second or third episode? Uh, special mention to Christos. Hi, Christos. Um, and yeah, and then that was when you got me involved in all good things. So it's, I think, yeah, November. It was just before Christmas yeah. last year that I started. It's gone quickly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. We are glad to have you. Well, we were saying how we uh, used to co host Galaxy Class. Yes. And that's no longer a thing. We didn't even do an exit show, Joe. We should. Should we? Yeah. No one's even going to care. They have stopped. They've unfollowed the show. No, they haven't. <laughs> they'll pop up in people's podcast streams and they'll listen to us say goodbye. People need closure in life. Okay. Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Let's let's make that happen. Okay. You can edit. I can edit. <laughs> Okay, Amy and Kelvin, Amy, this is really for you. Can I tell you what I uh, bought today? Yes. Amy, this will excite you. <gasps> oh, nice. Oh, Joe, you are going to love them. Yeah, I got some pairing knives because I remember back in, when was it July, Amy, when you visited? Um, yes. And there was no pairing knives for cutting up the fruit. And um, so I went and bought, I found some in a shop. So I'm, I'm looking forward to cutting up a peach later. Why do you need? Why do you need four of them? <laughs> well, they're uh, different you know, length of blades and type of blades. Yeah. So they are, obviously. <laughs> obviously. So now, if one's in the dishwasher as well, you've always got another one that you can use. Yeah. For, for emergency fruits cutting purposes. Yes. And it's Joe, you had yes. to show me that because now I see the one pairing knife that I don't have, and now I must have it. <laughs> oh, okay. Which one? 
It's the the shortest one with the wider blade. Um, this the shortest one. ones. Yep, one. I don't have that one. Okay, I have the other ones you have. This this is mine. You can't have it. Oh, we shall see what happens. Oh. I, I, Joe, I'm getting very distressed with you waving all these blades across the screen. It's like some kind of police amnesty video. Oh, yeah, can I hand them in and I won't get prosecuted? <laughs> cool. This is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. Escape pod. In this segment, we discuss the newest release of Star Trek. And this week, we have Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 6, Hearth Ferengi's Heart Place. Now, that title threw me for a loop. So I, of course, memory alpha it. And it says that the title is from a British comedy horror miniseries, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Now, my friends in the UK, <laughs> this comedy horror miniseries. I'm feeling no. a lot of pressure here that I'm supposed to know what this is. So... I'm really grateful that you did the research, but also feel quite exposed and negligent here that I have no idea what Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is or what's, what its connection is to Star Trek. I know. Despite Marenghi sounds like Ferengi. Right. Yeah. Um, it was it's from 2004. It's a Channel 4 series created by Richard... How'd you say his name? Ayuadi and Matthew Holness. Oh, um, right. Um, apparently, the characters originated in a stage show called that Garth Marenghi's Fright Night. If it rings any bells, but literally, I recognise some of the um, Matt Berry, Richard Ayuadi, Alice Lowe, or Matthew Holness. I've recognised the, the actors, but couldn't tell you anything about it. Well, I wasn't expecting you. I wasn't expecting you to know every mini mini series, but I thought, oh my gosh, how funny would that be if you did? <laughs> mm. Not a Scooby. All right. Well, what did you think of this week's episode, Calvin? You love a good Deep Space Nine. I do. Um, the more I think about it, the more obvious it is that a Ferengi episode is very suitable for Lower Decks because I, I'm quite infamous for saying the Ferengi episodes of DS9 were never my favourite because they're all just a bit silly. But that's perfect for Lower Decks because Lower Decks is silly Star Trek and Deep Space Nine is serious Star Trek. Um, so the fact they've never been to Ferenginar and we've not seen this massive capitalist country and, well, planet that they've got it's almost a bit of a crime that they've left it so long. So I, I loved it. I loved all of the advertising references. Uh, I loved the little joke about the Paramount Plus logo in the background uh, popping up in the middle of the episode. It was it was a good a good lot of fun. I think it may have been my least favourite episode so far. Wow. Of the um, series or of the season? Um, I don't know. Um, maybe both. Okay, I, why? I, I, th I think I think I'm a bit like you in the the Ferengi episodes in Deep Space Nine. Just were a bit throwaway, a bit silly, um, and I agree that they 
Lord X is a place for a Fringe episode, but I did find myself pick up my phone to play a game where the episode was Ooh, on. That's a that's a sign. That's an, an indicator as to how much I'm enjoying it. If I get like wander off and do something else, um, it's nice to see Lita and Rom, who are the two characters yeah. that were in it. Um, I don't think Lita sounded like herself, even though it was Chase Masterson. Mm. Didn't. I heard that a lot. Yeah, I was like, sounds like some they'd recast the character, but they hadn't. Um, yeah, it was just okay. So it was kind of. I think it was kind of. Was it maybe a little bit um, obvious? Oh yeah. Do I mean in that we you kind of knew what was going to happen at the beginning of the episode? There's going to be lots of Ferengi shenanigans. But that's sort of what I thought was fun about it yes it was predictable but i totally fell each step along the way so i was totally on board for it where it's like mm. you know we we know the stereotype of rom sort of being the dumb one well only dumb in ferengi standards because they're you know worried about money and he's an engineer and now he's learned to be grand nagus and so he you know came off as the dumb one and then Lita's all the smart one. And then they mirrored that with Freeman and the Admiral, which I don't know that I really liked. I mean, we're used to seeing a bad Merle, and now are we going to get used to seeing a dumb Merle? I'm <laughs> but I was totally on board when, you know, we had that switch when Freeman's like, aha, that's what they're playing, and mm. we can play that. So I... I really, I, I liked it. And I liked that Lita and Rom were working together. Like it still showed that they were this awesome power couple. Yeah. Speaking, and making, sorry, I was going to say, speaking of power couple, um, I'm curious to know, Amy, what you think of the direction they took with Tendi and Rutherford. Because I know only a couple of weeks ago, you were saying you were quite against the romantic getting to them you just really like the fact they were good friends and it seems that this might be the start of the romance i know i was like what are you doing they are just so cute i mean it would have been fine had they played it ha ah, cute da 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 and then not got embarrassed i could have been totally fine with that but the fact that they did get embarrassed means oh maybe there is some emotion and i'm just like no why do we have to go there um, it was really cute at the end when they were like, you know, in the Jeffrey's tubes together. That was really cute. So I hope they can still just keep it platonic. Come on. Joe, what did you think about the uh, relationship? That was maybe, I'm remembering it now, even though it was only a couple of days ago that I watched it. Um, was that maybe the funnest bit of the episode? Seeing how uncomfortable they were and they were being forced into acting like they were in love so they could get free stuff at the restaurant. The discount, um, yeah. Yeah. What was it, the married couple's discount or something? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't mind if they get together because they're really good friends and if they if they do, then it'll be like a natural progression in the relationship. So, um, but that, the bit in the Jeffrey's tube at the end was like so overtly sexual but platonic at the same time. Yeah. But it was just natural for them. They were just comfortable in each other's presence. Mm -hmm. And I was okay with that. 
Okay, so Boimler, please tell me that I'm not the only one who has been sucked into an infomercial and like watch the infomercial, even though I had other things to do. I'm like, no, I think I need to watch this. Or okay, the so soap operas. That was the cutest thing for Boimler to do. Joe? We don't really get infomercials like you guys. That's why we come to the US to watch infomercials in the hotel room when you're having a go for a wee lie down. You just put on like a three hour long infomercial for one product. Yes. Our ads last like maybe 30 seconds max. There are a couple of exceptions, like if things are on in the middle of the night and mm. the, the, the time slots to advertise your product is much cheaper, that's when you get the more infomercial style. There's still not anything like yours, but I have like uh, a repeat recording of something that's on at like 2 a.m. and I, I watch it the next day after work. Yeah, uh, that's and so the, the joke. <laughs> and But the, the advertisement um, section of the recording records and sometimes I forget to fast forward when I'm rewatching the day after. And that's always for a mattress with a really uh, orthopedic topping on it. And it's like an infomercial. It goes on for about like the whole duration of the commercial break in the show. And I find myself watching it. It's, it's so, yeah, so I have been sucked in by this. I get offended especially in school when you put on a youtube video uh for the kids to watch about something and there's an advert in the middle for yeah. grammarly usually mm -hmm. really like i purposefully look away i will not be advertised to so mute look away don't interact don't be marked so, so it doesn't get you yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah not doing it hate adverts unless it's for something i might want obviously mm. then i'll be like yeah but you don't know if you want it until you I know, watch it. I know. <laughs> and on, you get sucked into. <laughs> on YouTube at the moment, all of my targeted adverts appear to be for StreamYard. So the, the algorithm has definitely got me. Yes, it's cross-talking. <laughs> well, let's get to today's discussion. We are going back to get off my ship series this will be part four where we are going to discuss strange new world the serene squall so while on a dangerous humanitarian mission the crew of the uss enterprise stumbles into a harrowing game of leverage with the quadrant's deadliest space pirate all right so um deadliest space pirate i don't know that might be a little hyperbole there in the description <laughs> <laughs> but what did yeah, you think I'm, of this episode calvin i i think the the singular rather than plural the gives us pause for thoughts because the singular is obviously the main character captain angel but the pirates themselves would be the crew of the serene squall and they were talked up at the beginning of the episode of being you know terrifying and up to all sorts so the that description makes sense if you think of it as the reputational plural of the episode but i wouldn't call captain angel the deadliest space pirate i mean she's quite timid really all, all she wants is to get you spock to get uh cyborg out of jail she's not that bad she, she didn't kill anyone no she's not um 
Harry Mudd from Discovery. He had yeah. a million time loops and killed most of the crew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the setup of Fucking Angel, it kind of gives me Seska vibes of that you've got that relationship of someone pretending to be someone they're not. They have the relationships with the crew. And then there's this big reveal that there's somebody else and they're now the villain and almost teed up to be a recurring character, even though we didn't get her back in season two. So, and I loved Seska, so I immediately was here for it. But I just think for, I think I would put Tapring as the best guest star in season one, or, you know, um, the actress who plays her. But uh, Jesse James Keitel, who was very much a close runner-up of just such a standout performance of, where is this person come from? I must know all about them. And as soon as this episode aired, I then went to watch the uh, remake of Queer as Folk uh, that Jesse James Keitel was in on, I think, Peacock TV. Uh, and that was great as well. So, yeah, a relatively new actor out there on the scene. And this was one of one of the big breaks. Yeah, uh, she definitely stole... The show. I mean, the entire episode, every scene she was in, uh, just you were sucked in. The whole thing with her talking to Spock and how she is really leaning into, oh, you don't know who you are. You're half human. You're half Vulcan, you know. And so she's like using the fact that he doesn't know who he is against him. And she's also using that he does listen to emotion. Because she, at the end, was like, oh, I've been playing your tune this whole time. I told you about my sob story of these poor colonists that we we survived or that we saved and my poor husband who's dead. And I've been manipulating you this whole time. So you have been letting emotion guide your choices. And I wanted to ask, like, is that always going to be the case? I mean, is can it also be logical to help the colonists? It I, to me that was kind of is trust and emotion. You know, on what basis do you distrust someone? Uh, that would be an emotional or a perceived emotional response, or thinking they're gonna kind of rip you off, or, or not they're not who they are. So. As a Vulcan, would you have those gut feelings? Um, so really, is is what she's saying that Vulcans are very easy to manipulate because they do just trust and take things on face value. Yeah, but I guess my question is, had her husband not died, would Spock have made the same choice? Because that would be logical. So I guess I'm asking, is she correct? Did she manipulate? Did she use his emotions to guide his choices? Joe, I'm what do you think? I'm not really sure. Disclaimer, listeners, that um, Amy asked me to come on this episode like half an hour ago. So the last time I saw Serene Squall was when it was originally on, which I don't know when that was. It was like quite a while ago. Um I see if you're a good person, are you going to be easily manipulable? Right. And we know Starfleet is the idea of good. 
So mm -hmm. is that why we can always have a pirate situation? Can we always be sucked in? Yeah. And is, is that, that predictable? Is it maybe a question about the, the lack of Starship security? Not doing their due diligence and checking who's on the ship. Obviously, she she was on the ship under the guise of a a counselor, wasn't she, Doctor yeah. Aspen? Yeah. Um. So pulled the wool over everybody's eyes and got access to the senior crew. Um. Was it wrong for them? I suppose you just go on whatever whatever information that you're given about the person that's on your ship and don't prejudge them. And if mm -hmm. they play you, it's on them. But if they play you twice, then it's on you. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I, I don't know, but I suppose she was manipulable because she bought the whole thing at the end about um, yeah. um, what's his, her face and what's um, Nurse Chapel in Spock, which we all didn't buy because we knew it was a ruse in the way they were acting. Well. She didn't, she couldn't necessarily buy it because T'Pring removed that power dynamic. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't really to fool Angel. It was about fooling T'Pring, really, so she yeah, would that's... release Spark. So, again, here we got another manipulable Vulcan. <laughs> mm. Okay, that's a good point. But we learn in the end she knew all along. That because oh I knew you would couldn't really love Nurse Chapel, so the whole thing the ruse wasn't even needed. Well, I mean I guess it was so that Tipring had a non-conflict way to not release yeah. her prisoner to back out the whole deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, okay. So what do we think about it being Cybok? I, I might I like the idea of it, and I think I can reserve judgment until we get the follow-up episode, hopefully in season three, and see what that interaction is like. Um, but I that was that was where I got all of the the conversations with um, Angel and Spock about emotion and identity. Clearly, that has come from a place of her conversations with Cybok. So she knows what it's like to be around Vulcans who have um, abandoned logic and allowed themselves to feel emotion. So it was like she was trying to tease Spock, saying you're in a perfect place to be like because you're half human. Um, so it was the reveal of the relationship with Cybok at the end that made me think, ah, that's why Angel was so interested in kind of allowing, trying to get Spock to release himself because that's what his brother did. Which we learn more in The Final Frontier because yes. Cybok didn't go through Kolinar, correct? Correct. And so that's why he's going off, you need your pain and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so Spock I didn't go through Kolinar either, did he? No, I, with Cybok, it's not just about Colin R. There'll be loads of Vulcans who don't do that. It's just a, like a random uh, ceremony that you, you can elect to do. Yeah. It's more, um, it, this episode actually ties back more, and I think you actually put this in the trivia, Amy, that it ties back more to the Enterprise episode, Fusion, where you see the early Vulcans 
go off on their travels and they fully embraced emotion. Um, so he, so basically, I don't know if it was alluding that Cyborg would have been one of those Vulcans in Fusion. He was I, maybe a child born on that ship, uh, but he was very much part of that cult order. That religion, philosophy. What, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Katosh Katar or something. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked that he was part of that movement uh, rather than just a, a random Vulcan baddie that we got for mm-hmm. a random rubbish Star Trek film. I don't think that they'll necessarily have to bring him back. Do you think that's I, enough? I think so. Okay, I suppose it was a little bit... I see why they did it, but maybe it was a little bit of fan service. And a little bit of like Easter egg. Oh, look at this guy that we all know about. Spock's brother that he has never been mentioned before. Um, so they, can they just leave it there? And if they do go back and they bring him back in season three, then how do they do it so we don't all lie roll? Right. Yeah, it's like I can see an opportunity there, but I'm okay if it does just end there because yeah. the mention of it really does, yeah, spark that into the Enterprise and then the final frontier, yeah. And the longer they leave it, the more they're going to erode canon of Cybok being a surprise person to everyone when he arrives on the Enterprise in Star Trek V. You know, if Uhura's already seen him and Scotty would have already seen him. And, right. you know, so he almost, I think if there's an interaction, if he does come back in season three, I think it won't be a arrive on the ship with all of the crew episode. It might be a Spock centric episode, yep. and, you know, like an away mission type thing to kind of protect Canon. Certainly hope Paul Wesley won't be walking into the room at the same time because that will completely ruin it. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, the, the the longer they leave it and the more they get the, the legacy cast, uh, legacy characters back, it, it's just going to become more hard and hard to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Can we talk about Captain Angel's wardrobe? Did you oh, notice yeah. that they had a different outfit on in every scene that they were in. So there was the original, the, the initial dress for dinner. And then there was the, uh, after, after she'd been training in her quarters, like the sports gear. And then the famous Rhea Papa Giorgio black singlet number uh, that she wore for the rest of the episode. And I just thought in, in an episode, it were in well, the Starfleet uniforms in Strange New World are so amazing anyway, and the costuming is so fantastic overall. Mm-hmm. To really showcase this character as being such a snazzy dresser, it, it really it didn't take me out of the episode on my first viewing, but it was something I really appreciated, thinking, Oh my god, she looks amazing in every scene. Um, and it really helped the character emote. Right, the the body movement uh, that Jesse James Keitel gives just, you know, sometimes the clothes were the actor rather than the actor wearing the clothes. This was, she really owned it. So, yeah, I just wanted to give a special nod to wardrobe and costuming for a character well put together. You are so spot on with that because the clothing, I mean, well done to, oh, who's our costume? It's not Gersha Phillips, that's Discovery. 
Anyway, don't mention don't mention Gersher in front of Joe. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, but if you look at her costuming, like at the beginning, she's, you know, oh, woe is me. I'm trying to help these people. It's baggier. It's more relatable. Um, and then the progression where it's getting tighter and tighter and more seductive as she gets more evil and evil. So that progression totally follows her character mm. arc. Um, let me ask you guys, if you lived in the future on a starship, how many costume changes would you have in a day? Oh, if you could just well. replicate at will? So for me personally, Joe, this question doesn't make any sense because I don't do any aspects of laundry. So if the if the advantage of being able to have 25 outfit changes a day because you don't have to buy clothes and you don't have to wash them mm -hmm. afterwards yep. is the motivator for having a better appearance, then I, I rarely buy clothes or wash them now anyway. So I just drop them on the floor and James deals with them. Yeah, um, let me ask, how many costume changes do you do at STLV? As few as possible. Uh, it's, a, it's a long walk up to that room. I know. In Joe's you only go up to the room for drinks. Two or three times, Joe. Mm, um, Minimum of was, two. Okay, so we would typically ha um, dress for breakfast, wear yeah. normal clothes for breakfast. Then Ewan would make me go and get changed into some kind of cosplay. Yeah. And then have that on all day and then we'd get changed for dinner. Yeah, but sometimes not all day. If it was an uncomfortable cosplay, then you would go up, get into your t-shirt and tank top or shorts and tank top. Short, 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 and short, then we top. would go to dinner. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. <clears throat> but that you know what I don't like in oh that's just a bit of a faff. What getting changed? Would you would you not yeah. want to? I don't think I would. Where's that? I I'd, go, I'd just walk around in like joggies and a t-shirt, probably, if I was on a ship. It's climate controlled, so you're never going to be cold. I just have, have my I have my Starfleet short shorts and my Starfleet tank top on okay. all day, every day. So you basically dress like Mariner. You'd have like the the, the white sweatband and the black vest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's me. Yeah, keep it easy. Oh, I thought you were going for the opposite of saying like in, in a world where in an environment where you can have as many looks as possible because there's no concept of the toil or the money, then mm -hmm. you'd be very flamboyant. But actually you're saying the opposite. You're saying I think I might be a bit, bit just... lazy. <laughs> and I see if I had a, like a, a dresser, like a va a valet, um, like a dresser or some a fashion person that picked out things for me to wear. And would just at various points throughout the day transport the clothes onto me oh while God, I was doing whatever I was doing. You then... can't even be bothered to put them on. Wow. No, I know. <laughs> just keep me snack. I don't have a, a strong internal sense of fashion. Mm. So um fashion's kind of lost on me. Um so I need somebody to do it for me, is my point. You and we could totally program the transporter or whatever, you know, like when you go to the holodeck and they're like, 
holodeck program me mid 20th century clothing and then you walk in and you've just automatically changed like you have that in your bedroom so you can just program and you step in and it dresses for you mm. amy, amy you've just reminded me of one of my most ick moments in first contact oh. when they're about to beam down and picard off the turbo lift for clothes and they walk into the turbo lift and he says computer mid first mid 21st century civilian clothing and i just <laughs> shout at the tv each time why are you asking the turbo lift that <laughs> that oh my gosh i've never even thought of that thanks for ruining that for me <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? it's a super advanced ai it knows it's not the turbo lift he's asking it's the ship's computer mm. and to have the clothes ready when they arrive there and did they beam down up with the clothes on? Or did it get changed before they go? I get changed before they go. Did yeah. they get changed? See, yeah, yeah. just a fast. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Captain Pike down on the ship, the actual Serene Squall, and mm -hmm. how him and Una dupe the crew there with Pike's fabulous cooking. How did we uh, think about this uh, B plot? I wanted to discuss this because you know we like um, a theme or a, a trope, as Christos often calls them. And the idea of the manipulating the baddie uh, just because they're a bit stupid uh, is just been done so many times before. Not necessarily Alpha Braga 4 creates a mutiny, but if you think of you know, rascals with the stupid Ferengi Damon Lorraine. If you think of the Alpha Jem'Hadar in One Little Ship, they're all manipulated by the crew seeming to go along with them and then actually taking the command away from them. Um, we, we covered uh, Enterprise Acquisition only a few months ago on this, and that is pretty much the exact storyline. So I, I wouldn't go as far to say it's a bit tropey, but it was it it there was no real stakes to it. I didn't believe for a moment that Pike and the crew were actually in any danger because it was being played for comedy. And especially when you got Una and the rest of the guys in in the jail cell, it it was just it was very much a silly romp. And I still enjoyed it. But there was, if you think of the peril on the Enterprise and that amazing seen on the bridge with all the weapons and spot throwing the guy across the bridge and being shot in the back as you dive into the turbo lift the bit on the serene squad just didn't have any of that action it was just it was a, just a silly irish orion guy who's bad at cooking mm. um yeah i didn't mind it i suppose that was just an excuse to get them off the ship so the story could be about Angel and Pring and Spock and Chapel. Um but yeah, was it a trope though? Um see if you your leader's not on your ship, yeah. So it's just your crew and you have to make decisions for yourself. Plus you're a group a bunch of people that have got involved in piracy piracy. So you're probably not the smartest bunch in the first place. So the fact that you're you're duped by highly trained Starfleet officers um, on the, from the flagship, um, then maybe isn't so surprising. Yeah, because I 
now that we're talking about it, I feel that there are some holes. So maybe you can patch them up for me. So Pike says when he gets back into the the cage with Una says, well, there's good news. I talk them into selling us to the Klingons. Well, he couldn't have really talked them into it, but it sort of looked like it because that Orion captain guy, he's obviously not the captain. He's following directions from Captain Angel. Correct? Yeah. So, yeah, so he's almost like the first officer, I guess. He's yeah, in command so because Angel is away. He's not making any decisions. So that should that part should have already been planned by Captain Angel. So the fact that she was surprised that they were going to sell him to the Klingons and that's how they created the mutiny, like she didn't even seem concerned with the crew over there on the ship. I think it's quite multi-layered what you've just put there, Amy. So I think, first of all, they couldn't really give the game away that Captain Angel was uh, affiliated with the Serene Squall that early on in the episode. So you, right. the audience were led to believe that the Irish guy was the captain. Oh. Um, okay. However, I don't think Captain Angel is bothered about those pirates anyway. You know, she's very much out for herself. She does an emergency beam out. She disappears at the end. She's all about herself. So they were, and again, a bit like Seska using the Kazon. It's very, you know, you'll do for now. Um, but then going back to Joe's point about the pirates probably being a little bit thick anyway, it's quite believable that the person who's been left in command in the captain's absence would kind of get this captain leadership complex about them anyway thinking i'm in charge now and i can make the decisions so you know and there was the dialogue of the the other pirate where she said you know he's not the captain he's not in charge yeah but it wasn't done in a way to suggest actually captain angel is it was more he's just the bossy one Right. Okay. This is totally making sense. And sort of, I mean, and because we just spoke about Gambit, you know, sort of getting yeah. the crew mutiny over. So it's very cool. Can I ask why is it, I really like the name of the ship, the Serene Squall, because those words are almost opposites of each other. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Like Serene being all tranquil and calm and Squall being like a... Like a storm. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I was interested in how they come up with the name of the Serene Squall. Yeah. I wonder if it's maybe, I don't know, from a book or something. These things usually have basis in mm. literature, don't they, that come around. It might be it might yeah. be a job, a job for Google. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move to our assimilations and regenerations. I have a an assimilation going to our Kelvin movies because I like them so much, but like when they were getting lured in just totally reminded me and beyond when Kirk was going in to save Alara, I think is her name. And she, he was duped and they got captured It just that same luring of, Oh, save us. And I'm only doing it because I'm the captain of my crew. It just, I was happy for that connection. Is it is that Starfleet's biggest weakness? It's very Kobayashi Maru all over, yeah. isn't it? Anytime you yeah. respond to a distress call, 
you find yourself in a trap. So do you not respond? I, I, you know what? Sometimes I have to have a, a serious word with myself that if I did have this dream job of being in Starfleet, how wholesome of an officer would I actually be? You know, I don't think I would blindly throw myself and my crew into the danger that Starfleet do to save the day, to be the intergalactic do-gooders that they are. I'd like to think that maybe I would be a bit braver in, in that kind of culture where that's the norm and that's the expectation. But yeah, part of me just thinks, come on, <laughs> stop walking into traps, people. Send a few probes first. Yeah, I know I wouldn't be very brave at all. I wouldn't. I, I would like. I like the idea of being in Starfleet, but I don't think it's for me. It's too dangerous. I've always danger at all costs. Yeah, I really thought about this question multiple times because I want to be a person that does good. You know, I want to go in and save and go and answer a distress call. Uh, seeing people pulled over on the side of the roads, especially like on, you know, long distance trips, it breaks my heart. I want to pull over, but the fear of being taken advantage of, uh, mm -hmm. hurt, harmed mm -hmm. scares me so much in part because I have been attacked when trying to help. Um, but I'm just one person as in Starfleet, you have been trained. Like I don't have training to protect myself. I'm not armed. Like, you know, you're going in with a ship. So I think maybe that's where the difference is where you can go into a distress because you are prepared better than just a single person going in. So I think we will continue to answer distress calls. Yeah. And, and that leads me into an assimilation that I have. And it's one of the reasons I love Captain Pike so much that he is such an inspirational leader because of his values. So the the, the phrase or the, uh, the, the dialogue where he says, I'm not waiting to be told it's okay to keep people off the auction block when they're saying about, you know, slavery uh, and it will take two days for a message to get to Starfleet. And he's like, well, I'm not waiting. That is amazing. And it's it's just yeah, I love Captain Pike for, you know, being the Boy Scout and, and breaking yes. the rules for the greater good. That's that's what I would aspire to. I think mm -hmm. I'm a long way from there. Very, yeah. very me too. Very far away. Um, yeah, no, he's got a really strong sense of what's right and what's wrong. And he doesn't need to be told by Starfleet or an admiral somewhere light years away. Um, and he just knows what the right thing to do is. So he does it. I guess we would all look for in a strong captain. Yeah. You know, he also has a strong jawline, which totally was brought out in this episode, which is totally laughing at Star Trek. But then the lower decks referenced this. Mm. <laughs> Made me laugh and chuckle. So lower decks is referencing the newest of episodes, not only the old ones, though. Amy, there was a couple of uh, T'Pring-related assimilations what got added to the list. I know you're such a T'Pring fan. Uh, did you? Did any of these resonate with you? You know, I. this is really one of the reasons why I love T'Pring so much. She is so thoughtful. She is logically thinking, how can I connect better with Spock? 
well, he's human. Let's explore this human sexuality. Completely logical. So thoughtful. I just fell in love with her and she's just so, oh, I love her. Love it. It's such a great comedy scene when when Spock nearly spits his wine out and he just he just basically just says what? <laughs> well, and then even when he's talking to Chapel and she's like, "Oh, your girlfriend's moving too fast. That's a bad thing. Come on now, Spock. Just that was it played for comedy as well too." Mm. All right, one regeneration that I have. So when they, you know, hear the distress call from. Uh, the counselor. What's her? Dr. Aspen. Oh, uh, yeah. Aspen. Thank you. Um, and Spock's like, oh, we can't reach Starfleet. So should we go help them? And then that's when Pike says his line, you know, we're not going to wait for an answer because it took two days to reach Starfleet. So then we get Captain Angel, who is automatically talking to Tapring who is in Starfleet space and they're instantaneously where's the two day delay. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a very, very valid point. I mean, you've got two conversations with to bring, you've got that conversation at the beginning about the sexuality. That was a real time. Well, talk. Yeah, that and then you've too. got, and then you've got angel talking to her after. I mean, she does turn up in a vessel at the end, but there is still, the there's the two examples of breaking yeah. that continuity so yeah. and and that has widely been picked up on the on the socials oh has it been oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> i just got a, it <laughs> a lot of people took issue with that one um i think my only regeneration of this episode is maybe i don't enjoy it as much now because we've had the resolution of the will they won't they with spock mm. and chapel you know, during this episode, which was very much a sequel to Spock and Mark, uh, which is my favourite in the season, we didn't know. And there was still all of these, well, they can't get together. What about canon? What about... Uh, and they just did it. And now we know where we're, we are currently at the end of season two with them breaking up. Yeah, it's... That kind of, I, I don't know where I, I live mentally. I don't know if I'm wanting Spock to get back with Tapring, and we know how that works out. We even saw Ston in this episode. Um, who knows? It, it's a bit of a mind fuck. I'm, I'm okay with them getting together. Because, like, what is it, 10 years or something until the original series? Or mm -hmm. how far away is it? Eight. I think they're only. I think they're only about five now. It's it's okay. it's getting even, on. Yeah, even five years is still a long time to have multiple relationships with people. Yeah. So, mm. ping pong between Tapring and Chapel until I, I ultimately think, end up with Tapring. Yeah, I think Chapel. They did a good job of remaining true to the character that they set up for Chapel in Spockamot, where she doesn't like commitment and she's just you know putting mm -hmm. herself about a lot with all these uh, people and then actually and she pursues people and then naturally doesn't want them so the fact she did that with spot in essence is very true to her own character so they didn't make spot come and 
save Chapel and it's the big love of her life and everything's going to be great. He's just another example of a guy she chased, got him, and then lost interest very quickly. So mm. I think that's very strong character. But I also, I, I I did like, I was one of the people that I want Spock and Chapel to have more. I, I found it a bit of a waste that they were only really together for two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So a bit of a regeneration on a rewatch that it's a lot of a lead up to a damp squib. <laughs> All right. Well, some trivia. <clears throat> we have Cybok is confirmed to be one of the members of Vatosh Couture that was first mentioned in Enterprise Fusion, as you talked about earlier, Kelvin. Uh, we have the laser trap, which is seen in the original series Tholium Web and Enterprises in a Mirror Darkly. Yeah, it really did give me Tholium vibes at the mm -hmm. beginning of that. So I wonder if that is Tholian technology that the pirates stole or whether it's just supposed to be something similar. Who knows? Yeah. And we've already mentioned the cyborgs. We see him again, or Cyborg again, in The Final Frontier, which is 28 years after the events of this episode. Yeah. All right, guys, let's get your final thoughts for a Get Off My Ship series. Now, the previous episodes that we have talked about in this series are Voyager's Message in a Bottle, Enterprise Acquisition, and Deep Space Nine Civil Defense. So, not only your final thoughts, but who did it better? Joe. Um, mess message in the bottle is Voyager. Is that the one with the micro wormhole and the Romulan in the past? No, no. it's sending the Doctor to the Prometheus. Oh, I love that episode. Okay, and I like Civil Defense, and I've no idea what Acquisition is. I'm assuming it's a Ferengi episode. The yeah, Ferengi that's the Ferengi on, on the Enterprise, and they're Connor trying Trinier, to steal. Connor running around in his underwear. Uh, yeah, I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, not that one. Uh, I love the Prometheus. I'm um, I'm going to say, oh, it's joint. Oh, I don't know. I have to watch Serene Squall again, because you guys have brought up a lot of details that I haven't seen in a while. But I tie it down to... Yeah, message in a bottle, I think, is my favourite out of that list of four. Calvin, your final thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to try and separate my feelings of which I think is the overall better episode or my favourite and actually keep it directly to our theme. So thematically, get off my ship, who did it best? I'm actually going to say DS9 Civil Defence because, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't get a huge amount of consequence or danger from this episode. I didn't think the ship was going to explode or the crew were going to be executed or it was going to have catastrophic consequence. Mm -hmm. It was more, it was a comedy romp, you know, whereas Civil Defence was very much a race against time. The station's going to blow up. Uh, and even though it was the anti kind of get off my ship, it was actually the station saying get off my station to mm. the, the staff with. I still think it was a better 
entry into the Get Off My Ship series. So, yeah, I'm staying true to form and I'm sticking with DS9. Of course, I did not expect anything else. Um, I really like the Enterprise episode um, because it's fun, lighthearted. So sort of opposite to what you were saying, Kelvin, um, about civil defense. I'm going with Serene Squall. I watched it twice, once yesterday and once again this morning before we jumped on mic. And I was just enjoying it. It was so good. It was like, yeah, we knew they weren't going to be sold to the Klingons. Yeah, she was only, you know, trying to get Spock so she could get Cybok. Like, it, the, it wasn't huge high stakes, which I'm totally fine with. Um, and I was just reminded of how good it was to have episodic TV back again. Like, we, we get the, you know, long arc with the character development of the relationships, but the story, beginning, middle, end, just wonderful. So I'm thinking Serene Squall is the best Get Off My Ship episode we've covered so far. No, what shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam Aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz, a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the Tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek, hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Okay, well, next week, we are going to set you some Amy's homework to uh, watch Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario, which we're going to cover as part of our Kobayashi Maru series. So is this the first Picard Season 3 episode we've done on All Good Things? Obviously, infamously, you covered the entire season on Galaxy Class. We did. I remember it was Mark and Christos and they covered 
the the courtroom episode. Oh, that's Strange uh, New World. Oh no, is, what am yeah. I thinking? No, I feel like they did cover something. Well, I think this might be the first. This might oh. be. I do know that this is Christos's favorite episode of season three of Picard. So you better okay. be back next week. We would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Pod on Twitter slash X and Blue Sky. Please follow the network on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at BQN Podcast. We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Calvin, where can people find you when you are manipulating me by serving me the best food ever? I often do that. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline or in the Facebook BQN Collective group um, where I love chatting to you all. And Joe, where can people find you when you're not pretending to be in love with a Randy nurse so to get someone else jealous? Okay. Randy nurse. It's funny because that's funny because Ewan's a nurse. Exactly. I'm like, he does do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I know what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Uh, when I'm not doing that, you can't find me podcasting for a start. And um, this is a one, one time only thing. Because um, my computer doesn't work currently. Um, yeah, or you can email me joepodcast at gmail.com. You can get me on. Twitter and Instagram at joejo77uk or you can find me on Facebook. And Amy, where can people find you when you're not manipulating manipulable people in a manipulative way? Well, when I'm not doing that, uh, you can find me here on the network where I'm co-hosting Union Federation, which is covering the new truck that's coming out. I am in the Facebook group, BQN Collective, and I am on Twitter slash X at Miss Amy Nelson. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and a written review that helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendra and Christian and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and for our very own Mark White for our artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep our sh- all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy Ed's screen, Amy's math moments, and other work network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on HiveMind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com slash bqn to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things.